Hey, what's up? See what's going on. We are watching uh, George Conway and Michael Cohen, Treason Watch, okay. 10 months and, ago. And I think, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, think the Benghazi didn't really do the Republicans any good. They spent a lot of effort on it, but nobody knew, nobody can to this day, very few people can explain what the hell that was about. So I, 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 I don't think, I think they're going to cause a lot of chaos, uh, but I think at the end of the day, I, I, I think they're going to end up fighting themselves as much as fighting anyone. They, there's a tendency there. They, they are not, these are not people who work, who, who are interested in government, governance, and they don't, they don't even work well together. Um, so I, 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 I think that, that even if they win the House in 2022, um, I think they're going to end up doing themselves harm in the long run. We'll you know, see. a lot of people, though, George, would turn around and if you were, you know, a member of the GOP, they would turn around and tell you that you can use that exact statement that you just made when you're referencing the two impeachment trials against Donald, that it didn't do anything for the Democrats. In fact, it possibly hurt the Democratic Party. Oh, that's right. And, and, and that's that's one of the reasons why. Nancy Pelosi was sort of a latecomer to the impeachment bandwagon. Mm. You know, it, it took the Ukraine matter her, you know, pulled the trigger on that, the multiple counts of obstruction that were identified at length in the Mueller report weren't sufficient. And she was very much conscious of the fact that it takes, you know, it takes an incredible amount of public support to to impeach a president and remove him from office because it's never been done. And you really have to, people really have to be fired up uh, in the public and understand exactly what's going on. And you have to grab their attention. And um, at the same time, it, it's going to be hard to get in a polarized political environment, get 67 votes to convict in the United States Senate. Oh. So you're basically engaging potentially in a, in a feudal act. And she, she basically dragged her heels on impeachment for political reasons because for a long time because you know she understood that her majority depended on these purple districts where there were Democrats who had won in in, in uh, rural and conservative districts and so so it, it took the Ukraine the outrage of, of, of in um, extorting an, an ally um, for her to basically say we have to do this she did it because she thought there was going to be huge political upside. I think she did it at that point because without, it, 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 she couldn't not do it because of what, what he had done. So, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think impeachment, I don't think, is necessarily a political plus. It didn't help the Republicans in 1998 when they impeached uh, Bill Clinton. And I don't know that, you know, unless you have something the public's truly outraged, I don't think it will help the Republicans in 2023. Um, that you know, it doesn't mean that it, you know, because there's not a political benefit to it that uh, sometimes it isn't, isn't it isn't it, it's right to it doesn't mean that it's not right to impeach a president. It was right to impeach Donald Trump twice because he did commit high crimes and misdemeanors um, within the meaning of the Constitution. He did violate his oath of office twice. Um, and frankly, if the Senate had done its job the second time around, if Mitch McConnell probably you know, looks back and woos the who's the moment he decided not to encourage his 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 uh, fellow caucus members to vote to 
run for office in the future. That was a missed opportunity for him and for the Republican Party. It was also just the wrong thing to do. Yeah, and you know, when I was talking about the poll um, about the midterm uh, coming midterm elections, the poll I was actually referring to is um, NBC had a poll whereby they believe that the Democrats are going to take a shellacking. And then they go ahead and they give like this little history lesson. As far as during the course of my life, there's only been, I think, two times where the party that was controlling the White House actually gained House seats. One of them, believe it or not, was President Clinton. And the other one was George W. Bush, who both had approval ratings north of 60 percent. So if you take a look to see where are we at right now with Joe yeah. Biden, he's somewhere in like the low 40s, 41, 42 percent. So my recommendation, if I was able to sit there and sit down with the guy, I would say, first and foremost, many of these uh, messages from the White House that he's doing, it's too much. You know, we came off of a situation where Tano never went before the camera unless it was something for, again, stroking his own ego where he put up a big gigantic sign of what the stimulus check was going to look like. And of course, the biggest signature, right, was like if it was on the Constitution, was Donald's signature at the bottom. Remember when he stopped uh, Steve Mnuchin from having his name on the stimulus check because he wanted his, right? These, these are real issues. What he needs to do is he needs to, in my estimation, he needs to get Merrick Garland on. There's so much misinformation, disinformation that's being put out there. There's so many individuals that have violated our Constitution, and they managed to just slide by. And I think that's eroding the country's faith in our democratic process. And it's giving the Foxes, the OAMs, the Newsmax an opportunity to take advantage of that misinformation, to continue to promote it, continue to sow this chaos, and so on. And Interestingly enough, it has the opposite effect of what you would think, which is that people would walk away from that party of fucking liars and go to the party that actually wants to do something good for the country. But it, it's not happening that way. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I, your point about Garland, I, I, I fear may be right. I think the one bright spot in the near future, I think, will be these televised hearings from the January 6th Select Committee. I think that they are, we, we, you know, some of the evidence is kind of filtering out now, dribbling a little bit out, but from what I, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg, and I think there's going to be a very, I think if they do this correctly, and they seem to be very skilled at, at, at this, at this particular group of people, um, they're going to tell a story about January 6th and about what happened in the 2020 election that I think it's going to be captivating. And I, maybe it can be just, I can ho only hope it, it's, a, it's a massive um, positive civics lesson for the country, and particularly the people in the middle who don't, who don't who kind of, you know, think it's all just flawed norms. And maybe, maybe some good can come out of that, and, and, and who knows, could it maybe it might affect the 2022 midterms, and certainly it, it might affect, um, you know, Donald Trump's political future. Yeah, well, well, one can only hope, but I don't have confidence in that. But I do want to say this, George, on Friday, you retweeted an interesting post from Juliet Kaya that read, and I quote, the fake elector's investigation is like the dun-dun theme in Jaws. First slow, like it seems not a big deal, but then it picks up speed for the catch. Now, across multiple states, using the same language 
Lots of people were told to sign a document key to Trump's plan. It is, it's the sound of dread. If you would, unpack what you think she means for my listeners. And how consequential will this wind up being? And will this be the final nail in the coffin for Rudy Colludi Giuliani? Well, that's an interesting, well, those are all interesting questions. I mean, I think what I'm actually in retrospect surprised that these fake electoral certificates didn't get as much play a year ago than they did, but, but there was just so much else going on, the violence on Capitol Hill and the attempts and, and the, the attempts to, to, to launch objections on the floor of the House and on the Senate and, and Trump's rhetoric. These electric, these fake electors meetings, which were viewed at the time as, oh yeah, they're having this is just political show, um, kind of got washed away in all the noise. When in fact, you know, when you submit false documents to the government, you're violating any number of federal laws when you do that, and um, you you could be conspiring to defraud the United States. You could be violating the false statement statute, uh, one thousand one. There are any number of statutes that you could be, you could be, you you could be charged with, including again one one charge that is uh, being levied against many of the rioters in January six, which is attempting to obstruct a congressional proceeding. And these, with, with two exceptions possibly, a couple of states, they carefully said, you know, this is contingent upon something or other, contingent upon finding that we actually won the election. These were basically copying the forms that you're supposed to use for the victorious electoral slate in a state where the, you know, the presidential candidate actually won. And these things were false. And they were submitted to the National Archives. They were submitted to the Congress of the United States. They were filed in federal district courts according to under the Electoral Count Act throughout the nation. And, you know, that's just illegal. And to get people to sign fake documents is conspiring to do that kind of is conspiring to engage in, in 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 serial illegality, and I think you're right. I mean, I guess this could be this this could be trouble for Rudy, for Rudy. and it, it also is it could to the extent it was done with Donald Trump's knowledge, which it probably was because it was you know, Rudy was doing it, and it was part of the plan that was laid out. They were cited in John Eastman's legal memo. Uh, you know, this was part. Of, this is part of a multi-pronged effort to disrupt and to prevent Joe Biden from being elected president um, by Congress in Congress by the counting of the electoral votes on January sixth. It was an attempt to obstruct that proceeding. You know, it was multifaceted, and this is may actually be one of the easiest aspects of it to do. Well, the, you see, that's the thing that frustrates not just my listeners, but it's frustrating. All Democrats that are out there and all independents that are out there, that our, that our Justice Department is so slow across the board when it comes to Donald Trump. For example, we already know here in New York, according to, you know, Tish James, that he overvalued his primary residence. And, of course, you know, because I used to live in a Trump building as well, right? He overvalued that property like 300 percent. He claimed it was 33,000 square feet. It's 11,000. He claimed it was worth 250 million. It was worth under 100. And he did it for the purpose of being able to inflate his personal financial statement 
or for what? So that he can get preferential loans and rates when it comes to you know insurance or borrowing money, right? That's a crime. So why are we worrying about everything else? Just when you have when you have the meat, just put it on the fucking barbecue. Let's go. Yeah, it's like right? it's what are you saving it for? Yeah, and it, that to it, me anything, is what drives people yeah. crazy. Yeah, I mean anything he did, it's illegal to that in you know, under New York State law would also you know, under the tax law or as a bank fraud, it would also violate you know, it would violate federal tax law or mail or wire fraud statutes. Bank fraud, bank wire fraud, statutes. fraud yeah, misrepresentation all, statutes, it, all of it. All of it is, is you know, there, there's, there, there would be a corresponding federal charge to every potential state charge that, that probably, probably that they're looking into. And, you know, why I, why they've left it completely to the, to the, to the, to the AG and to the Attorney General Garland should do is appoint multiple special prosecutors, one to deal with the New York stuff, uh, and one, you know, one could deal with the Stormy Daniels stuff, one could deal with January 6th related stuff, and, and you know, there, there were just, and one could deal with Ukraine, uh, uh, one could deal with Usher, one would deal with also the um, obstruction that, that was uh, dealt with in the uh, Mueller report. I mean, there were just so many things that you know, any of us other, if anybody other than he would have been, would have been investigated to a fairly well. Well, I don't think he'd be investigated. I think you would be attached to a tree and executed. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really it's well, gone to after, a point where after a fair trial, my friend, after a fair trial. Well, not if Trump has anything to say with that. But what what ends up happening? <laughs> people turn around, George. People turn around. They're like, wait, a minute, what else does this motherfucker have to do before he's finally brought to justice? And the answer that they're saying is, no one's going to touch him because he's the former president, and it's so unusual. We've never in this country been in a situation where the former president is being charged or is being investigated, I should say, into about 30 different crimes. Yeah. And, and, and to, to, you know, and, and to basically let it all slide is to say that presidents and former presidents are above the law. And that's particularly, particularly true here in a circumstance where you're dealing with the one president of the United States who actually tried to end constitutional democracy in the United States by, by overturning a free and fair election and basically making himself president for life. So, I, you know, I'm with you there, Michael. You know, I constantly repeat this, and it's, again, worth renoting. There was a time where he heard a statement that somebody made about Vladimir Putin. And that statement, if you take that statement and compare it to everything that's going on right now, it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the votes. And he used to say that in the office all the time. That's literally that, all the time. That was Stalin. That was yeah. That was Stalin. Yeah, Stalin yes. said that. Yeah, you get you. you yes, you, but, but Vladimir Putin. Yeah, but Putin has taken it to oh, yeah, course, the extreme. Let's. All, I mean, let's not all, forget. All authoritarians. Have, that, that, that's their. That's their belief. And yeah, I, I mean, mean, you recall. You, you recall, George, when 
you know, you recall when, uh, for example, Putin had, um, he wasn't able to run because of the Russian constitution, right, which was the two terms. And so he made himself into the prime, right, to the prime minister. And then after that, they changed the rules that he could run as often as he wants. And he always wins by like 92%. It's always a landslide. That's what Trump wanted to do. And if people just listen to that one sentence, right, which is something Trump used to repeat over and over again, and then put into perspective what he's doing right now with the electoral votes, with going after governor's offices and redoing these electoral, um, you know, counters and so on. This is what he's trying to do. He's setting it up for the future. And if he's not healthy enough, God forbid, you know, we're going to have, you know, Sniffing Don Jr. all over the place, right? Don Jr. will run, or your Princess Barbie Ivanka, or one of them will end up running. Not Eric, he's too stupid. But, you know, even his father will ultimately admit that to himself. But he'll put somebody, he'll designate somebody so that he could be the king, right, from Mar a Lago. I, you know, I, I'm hopeful that none of that ever comes to pass. I don't think anyone is capable of doing that. But yeah, I mean, he wants to, he, he certainly wants to rig the game in his own favor. That's what he's spent his entire life doing. My God, you know who better be really careful, George? People like Bezos, people like Elon Musk, uh, and, and so on. Because the first thing Donald would do if he took over, he would do exactly what Mohammed bin Salman did what Vladimir Putin does, he would go to Elon Musk and he would say, Elon, how much, how much you worth, Elon? What's your net worth now? That's so a nice company you have there. <laughs> so he'll turn around and he'll go, about 300 billion. He'll go, try again. How much do you think you're worth? So he'll go, no, 300 billion. He goes, you're worth 10 billion. I just took 290. And he'll do that to Bezos and everyone else, very much like what Mohammed bin Salman did. He'll put them in the Ritz Carlton, hanging them upside down, and do whatever he needs to do in order to have them sign over their wealth. That's what he wants. He wants to be the richest man in the world. He wants to be the most powerful man. He is batshit crazy. Which brings me to this question to you, George. Last week, Norm Eisen wrote an op-ed for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that outlined the historic task ahead for the grand jury convened by D.A. Fannie Willis. Now, Eisen further goes on and he writes, and I quote, this ability to fully investigate and subpoena evidence is critical because the publicly available evidence may support charging Trump with several crimes under Georgia election law and other criminal statutes. How strong a case against Trump is there in Georgia? And where else could he find himself in similar legal jeopardy for this kind of election fraud? Well, the Georgia case is quite remarkable because he was recorded on tape asking for a specific number of votes, saying all I need is 11,000, I think it was 780 votes. That's just one more than we you know, lost by. And that's just any, I mean, that, that was just that shit crazy thing to ask for. And, and, and Raffensperger reported that. And I, I, you know, there are, I, I mean, to Norm's credit, Norm has done a great job. He and um, some other people for the Brookings Institute wrote a, you know, basically this tome explaining how um, all of these things could violate Georgia law. And it's, it's a pretty substantial case. 
um, that, that could be brought there. So I, you know, I'm, you know, I hope that I'm hopeful that uh, the, the, the special grand jury that um, is going to be in panel this spring in, in Fulton County, and, you know, pours through all of this and gets through all of this. And yet it goes right back to what we just finished talking about. We're all fucking exhausted. It's it called exhausting. Trump. It's called Trump fatigue, right? Absolutely. And what and what what we're all tired of. How many more hearings are we going to have? How many more of these? He's fucking dead. He's dead in the water. They wait till they impanel this and so. And then somewhere along the line, new chaos comes up, and then there's a new investigation, and then they're going to find that there's, of course, no text message or emails because he doesn't do that. But you can get 50, 60 yeah. people coming up talking about. What he was doing on January 6th, why he waited 187 minutes before, you know, going out there and making the stupid statement that he did. But, George, last week, Politico revealed the existence of a stunning executive order that was actually never signed, but showed the extent to which Trump would have gone to stay in power. Among other actions, it ordered the seizing of voting machines by the Department of Defense. I mean, it's described as a literal fucking coup. Who drafted the memo is still a mystery, although it's been widely ridiculed as being riddled with typos and formatting errors and basically drafted in crayon. Now, if it's drafted in crayon, we know who did it, right? Still, the content of the memo is terrifying. Right? I mean, it is. It's fucking terrifying. What does it say to you about what is going on behind the scenes at the time? And how do you think the existence of this memo will ultimately help the January 6th committee? Well, I think what was going on at the time were that the inmates were running the asylum. And and there was, you know, there was a rear guard action by, I think, people in the White House Counsel's Office and maybe at the Justice Department to stop it. But, you know, people like um, Sidney Powell and Michael Flynn were, you know, running loose in the White House. Mike, Mark Meadows was allowing these people to, 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 to suggest these crazy ideas into the, into the ear of a crazy president. And, I mean, the notion that a, a document would be generated that's in the White House files that, that would, you know, that would contemplate such things which have basically no basis in law, would violate many laws that would basically violate the Constitution. The notion that any of this could even get the, the light of day in the West Wing is is just, it's insane. And I think that, you know, I think one of the things the January 6th committee is going to be able to shine a lot light on is that, you know, Trump had reached and others around him um, had reached and how, how nutso some of these people were. And, I you know, I, I, it's just scary that anybody that some of the people who are advancing this stuff have, were anywhere near the White House grounds. Near it? They were sitting in the office in with the him. Office. I understand. Let's, let's, just, let's just add to that list Steve Miller, Steve Bannon, I mean, you know, Jared, who was out there. Not Jared is the same narcissistic sociopath that Donald is. Ivanka married her father. Just obviously a whole lot thinner. And it's it's crazy, simply because he doesn't give a fuck about anything other than now working with Middle Eastern money for his hedge fund. I mean, this is this guy is one of the worst fucking businessmen in New York, 
making making some of the worst real estate deals. And people somehow he pulls together over two, three billion dollars into a hedge fund. Get the fuck out of here! I mean, that's this a is mystery insane. Well, it's, it's it's not a mystery. It's somewhere along the line. It's payback for probably selling the Middle East, you know, armaments at a reduced price because Jared flew there a handful of times, completely off the radar. I mean, this is this is what he does. He creates this internal group of fucking grifters that each and every one of them are thinking not about the United States of America, but about enriching themselves. And we will pledge our fealty to the, you know, the Fuhrer, to the Supreme Leader, so long as we're able to get ours. I mean, it's, 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 it's so crazy. It reminds me of like the movie Young Frankenstein. You remember there was that line, it's the nonsensical rantings of a lunatic mind? That's Donald. I mean, and the more crazy shit that he keeps spewing, the more, the more that that group of sycophantic followers of his they just stay the course and they continue to fight for him. Like, again, if they were fighting for, you know, their religious rights, they're for their God. Scary shit. Well, let me say this. I want to say something nice about Jared. Relatively nice. I'm not a fan of Jared's. And what, you know, a lot of what, I believe a lot of negative things about Jared. But what I think was interesting about Jared late 2020 and early 2021 is he basically absented himself from all the stuff the steel stuff. He knew how crazy it was. And, you know, he took he took one of his trips, uh, I think, to the Middle East um, basically to get away from it all. And he made damn sure he had nothing to do with January 6th. And, um, but, you know, he, he knows how crazy his father was. Yep. And, uh, he just was there along for the ride to see you know, what he could get out. One hundred percent. Okay, so big picture time now, George. After all the dots are connected about who was involved in January 6th, it's my belief that it will prove that Trump presided over a vast criminal conspiracy to overturn the election. Now, when his own people inside the government failed him and then the courts rejected him, he now turned to the mob and incited an insurrection. Even if this is proven... What will be the political outcome, in your opinion? Are there enough persuadable voters who aren't already outraged that this will cause an uproar? Because short of referring Trump to the DOJ for criminal indictment, what's, desi- what's the desired outcome for you here? I make sure this guy get, never gets near the Oval Office again. And I think that, you know, if, if all of this stuff comes out and is understood and presented well to the American people about January 6th, you know, I mean, what happened in 2020 was this this massive, massive turnout to make sure he didn't stay in office. And I think that if Trump were actually to run and become the nominee of the Republican Party, which you question, and I hope you're right, but if that were to happen, I think you'd see a similar groundswell. Um, and I think you'd be, you know, you'd be able to elect my dog president if you, if, if you were running against Trump in 2024. But that said, it's going to be very, tra- it's going to be a very traumatic campaign. He's going to, he's going to try to take down as much of the country with him as, you know, as he can, and, and cause as much disruption and chaos as possible because that's, that's just his deal. He, he wants to see that, and so we'll see. Yeah, sickness. But you know, George. Um, as I said to you earlier on, 
the hour goes by very, very quickly. So I have one last question for you. And I want to change gears for a moment and discuss the strange romance, this bromance that some members of the far right have with Russia and Vladimir Putin. From what I understand, there is a belief that Russia and Putin are somehow the saviors of white Christianity. Now, in an important piece from The Atlantic that you retweeted by Anne Applebaum, she writes, and I quote, their motives are curiously familiar. All around them, they see degeneracy, racial mixing, demographic change, political correctness, same-sex marriage, religious decline. The America that they actually inhabit no longer matches the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant America that they remember or think that they remember. And so they have begun to look abroad, seeking to find a spiritually unified, ethnically pure nations that they imagine are morally stronger than their own. Nations, for example, such as Russia. Now, I was hoping that you could unpack this for my listeners and discuss how this impacts the viewpoint of folks like fucking Tucker Carlson, who's absolutely insane. I mean, Ann Applebaum is just a terrific journalist and a terrific writer about authoritarianism and and the dangers and threats to democracy. And and the point she makes there is, is a good one, and it's consistent with what other scholars point out, when when you have an authoritarian or a fascistic movement um, that's undermining democracy, and one of the things they do is they create an image, they try to create an image of a past glory that that a nation had that it needs to reattain. I mean, Hitler did it in the 1930s uh, by talking about the the stab in the back theory. I mean, he's trying to bring a nation back to to its rightful place in history. And you see a lot of that nostalgia um, in any kind of group that becomes sort of um, attached to a a charismatic authoritarian leader. I mean, that's the you know the whole red hat thing was make America great again, and that was what that was about. And part of it also is they they look abroad. They often look abroad for examples and models that they say, look at this utopia in 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 this other country. You know, I mean, it, it happened with the left, the left, the authoritarian left in the United States, the communists, you know, would would would, would glorify the Soviet Union, the legal part, the fact that Stalin killed tens of millions of Ukrainians and Russians and leave apart, um, you know, the, the oppressive nature of the Soviet regime. There's this, there's this want to, to there, there is this desire and necessity to create some kind of a utopia that is the aim of of, of, of the object of the political movement. And here, you know, it, it, it's crazy as it is. Some people are glorifying Russia. And, and in, they're also glorifying, and Tucker Carlson's guilty of this in particular. I mean, he did a bunch of shows from, from Hungary. They're glorifying Orban. And uh, uh, Trump is praising Bolsonaro. I mean, the, these, these birds of a feather, they flock together in this way. And they, they look at each other and point to each other as, we can, we, this is the success we can have if you only follow what I say. And, you know, the, the, the dear leader um, uh, approach, this, this authoritarian approach to, um, uh, to, to politics that, that is, 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 is enchanting to people who don't want to think deeply about politics and don't want to think about how messy life in a democratic republic necessarily is.
George, there's a big problem with even the things that Tucker Carlson, um, you know, is repeating. I mean, this whole notion of political correctness, right, this uh, degeneracy, racial mixing, demographic change, political correctness, same thing, religious decline, right? So basically, they're looking to try to create some sort of a, you know, of again, ethnically pure nation. The problem is nobody today, or almost nobody, few people are actually ethnically pure. There's mixture from all over the place, and it doesn't make a difference, you know, where, you, where you're from. I mean, my, myself, my father born in Poland, my grandmother Argentina, you know, my, um, what do you call it, my great-grandmother was in from uh, Odessa. You know, I have, it's, there's mix all over the place. There is no ethnically pure. This, this concept really doesn't exist unless you're one of these indigenous tribes that are living inside of, you know, you know um, the, the rainforest. You know, it just doesn't exist. And even they intelligently go to other tribes so that they don't end up with, you know, ethnically pure nations. Because as we all know, uh, things happen when you're marrying, you know, your own relatives. You know, there are, there are issues hey, that hey, pop stop, up. Stop, stop attacking Rudy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's it's I don't know. It, it's it's nuts. The whole thing is crazy, and I don't understand why people in America are following. But George, let me thank you as always. It was a uh, lot of fun, you, Michael. It's been too long. I really, I really, too, I really appreciate your time. It's good to be able to see you again. It's been a long time. Send my love yes. to everybody, please, and yep. um, stay in touch. Be good. Thanks for having me. Thank you, George.
Hi there, good morning. I want to see what if uh, Conald Rump was fucking taken into custody yet. Oh shit. Exwell calls out Jim Jordan. All senior citizens who have not registered for their $3,500 food allowance only have 20... I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Democratic Congress member Eric Swalwell just absolutely exposed and obliterated MAGA Republican and chair of the Judiciary right. Committee, Jim Jordan. Now, Jim Jordan, as chair of the Judiciary Committee, held a hearing, a subcommittee hearing, with this title, and I kid you not, the Judiciary Subcommittee on Compliance with Committee Oversight. So we're focused on compliance with committee oversight. Can you get any more projection than that? I mean, Jim Jordan failed to comply with committee oversight back when he was subpoenaed before the January 6th committee. He's now holding a hearing on compliance with committee oversight. So here is Congressman Eric Swalwell saying what this is really about is that Insurrection LLC is holding a partner meeting to try to fight for the petty grievances of their cult leader, Donald Trump. Play this clip. Another partner's meeting of Insurrection LLC. <laughs> That's what this is. This is the newly formed largest law firm in Washington, D.C. Only has one client, maybe we're going to learn about today, but that client is former President Donald Trump. Their job is to litigate every one of his petty, petty, petty grievances. Perhaps the next client is Elon Musk, and that's why FTC has been called here today. But Jim Jordan's obstruction of justice committees that he's overseeing have less credibility today than they did when we convened just three weeks ago. It's now 321 days since this subpoena was sent to Jim Jordan. That he did not comply with. So it's comical that we are here today under Jim Jordan's leadership asking people why they don't want to comply with subpoenas. The guy won't comply with the one that was sent to him 321 days ago. Witness to a crime. The crime has led to more arrests than any investigation in America. He's a witness being asked to do his patriotic duty and respond to a subpoena 321 days later. Refuses. Also, since the last hearing of this Committee to Obstruct Justice, Chairman Jordan is now interfering in an independent criminal prosecution. There's an investigation in Manhattan, also in Atlanta, also at the Department of Justice, into the former president. And Jim Jordan has sent a letter to the independently elected District Attorney Alvin Bragg of Manhattan. He is asking Alvin Bragg to commit a felony. Why is he asking Alvin Bragg to commit a felony? To help Donald Trump. Why is it a felony? Because if Alvin Bragg were to turn over what Jim Jordan is asking, Alvin Bragg would be violating New York law that says you cannot turn over grand jury proceedings. But that's what they're asking him to do. Again, the law doesn't matter if your client is Donald Trump. 
I mean, the irony is so rich, yet also so completely dangerous and deranged that Jim Jordan has failed to comply with his subpoena now for over 321 days, and he's holding this subcommittee hearing. Now, Eric Swalwell, by the way, don't you love how Eric Swalwell behind him kind of blows up um, in massive, massive font on these poster boards, uh, all of the kind of tweets and the subpoenas, just so everybody can see him. I think he does a masterful job. And, you know, Eric Swalwell, before he was a member of Congress, used to be a uh, prosecutor out in California. And so those were also very good tools to uh, advocate in front of a jury to kind of show them uh, the various points that are very, very, very important. And here, Eric Swalwell has blown up on these poster boards behind him, Donald Trump's uh, social media post, where Trump calls for death and destruction if he is criminally charged. And Swalwell recounts this story where Jim Jordan told a reporter that he hadn't seen Trump's post. And then when the reporter showed Jim Jordan uh, the actual post, Jim Jordan said he didn't have his glasses, so he couldn't see it. But watch Congressman Swalwell call Jim Jordan out for this. Play the clip. This posting. Jim Jordan was presented with this post by the former president that calls for death and destruction. And Mr. Jordan said that he would need his glasses. He was looking the other way. Jim Jordan, looking the other way. Well, we have blown up on the screen, and we've put it right here, and I'll leave it for Jim Jordan. This is what Donald Trump said, Mr. Jordan. What kind of person can charge another person, in this case a former president of the United States, who got more votes than any sitting president in history and leading candidate by far for the Republican Party nomination with a crime, when it is known by all that no crime has been committed, and also known that potential death and destruction in such a false charge could be catastrophic for our country. Why and who would do such a thing? Only a degenerate psychopath that truly hates the USA. Again, I'm going to leave this up here in probably 200 font. So Mr. Jordan doesn't need his glasses to read it. And here is Congressman Eric Swalwell saying, look, these MAGA Republicans, they don't support the blue. Just look what they did last week at the hearing regarding the ATF. They could have called anybody, but they called people to testify who say F the cops, F the blue. Just take a look at this clip by Eric Swalwell. Play it. It's also about a tweet that Jim Jordan posted back in the fall. Kanye Elon Trump. Now, after that tweet was posted, Kanye said he's going to declare DEFCON 3 on the Jews. The tweet stayed up for months. Everyone was like, hey, guys, turns out your hero, Kanye West, hates the Jews. We all stand with Israel. Please take down the tweet. They didn't take down the tweet. They kept the tweet up day after day. Jewish community, they're hurting. They say, please don't take... It stays up. So we can cross Kanye out, but it looks like we're here today for the other two, Elon and Trump. And we're also here because the Republican Party that's done such a great job over many years standing up for the police no longer back the blue. 
Last week, we had a hearing where you could call anyone in America when you have the majority, the power of a subpoena. We had a hearing about the ATF. These guys brought a witness who had just recently tweeted, fuck cops. Fuck cops. That's what this guy tweeted. Anyone on earth could have come to that hearing and they brought someone that said, fuck cops. Then one of their colleagues, this is what she's selling. Hi everyone, Mark Barden here at Sandy Hook Thomas. On December 14th, 2012, my seven-year-old son Daniel was shot to death in his first grade class. On our social media, defund the FBI. So we went from backing the blue to backing the coup. And here, Congressman Eric Swalwell takes just kind of a parting shot at Jim Jordan, thanking the witness for showing up, something that Jim Jordan didn't do when Jim Jordan was served subpoena. Watch this clip. <laughs> Ms. Bumpus, uh, thank you again for also doing something that Jim Jordan would not do and responding to a subpoena. One of the things we also noticed here at the Midas Touch Network, and we posted about this uh, on our various social media accounts, is that Jim Jordan's basically has conversations with himself throughout the day on social media. So he'll post something on his own social media account or his Twitter account, um, like you see right here. Like he'll say, Democrats demanded blah, 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 whatever conspiracy theory that he's pushing. And then he'll have the House Judiciary GOP Twitter account, which he controls. Uh, quote, tweet him and say things like, scary. It's like having a conversation with himself. And now here is another example where Jim Jordan's spreading some conspiracy theory about IRS agents just because they don't want Donald Trump to uh, have to actually pay the taxes that he's supposed to pay, which he's paying to China instead of the United States. And then the House Judiciary GOP account, which Jim Jordan controls, then quote tweets, Jim Jordan and goes, no, but Joe Biden does. And like he's having these conversations with himself. So one of the other things about Jim Jordan, which to me is just interesting. You know, Jim Jordan's never passed the bar exam in any state. And, and at the bottom line is that I don't hold it against anybody if they haven't passed the bar exam or if they haven't took the bar exam um, or if they've gone to law school or not. Like that, 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 that's not what them. this is about. But if you're going to chair the Judiciary Committee, the Judiciary Committee, shouldn't you be a licensed lawyer? I mean, wouldn't you want, uh, maybe you could do other committees, but don't we want, don't we want someone who holds that position to, to be a licensed lawyer? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. Okay, now this clip right here has nothing to do with any of the other clips. I just didn't know where to put this, and I wanted to share it with you. Here is Marco Rubio, uh, MAGA Republican senator from Florida, just randomly talking about booty videos. Play the clip. Okay, I'm glad we don't do this enough, which is just back and forth. So I'll be brief. The, the, fir the first is. There, this is not a First Amendment issue because we're not trying to ban booty videos. I don't know if there's a better term for it, but that's not what we're trying to ban. This is not about the content of the videos that are online. It is about the dangers to the national security that are presented by the way that this company functions. Yeah, sorry, I, I couldn't put that video anywhere else, but I, I wanted to share it with you. <laughs> it's just so absurd 
how unserious these MAGA Republicans are. When you compare Eric Swalwell, former prosecutor, someone who is beyond well qualified, who is advocating for the American people. That's what intimidates. That's what threatens these MAGA Republicans so much. What you saw right there, they're afraid of that. You know, Jim Jordan wishes he could be that. So Jim Jordan tries to cosplay the fascist version of Eric Swalwell, but completely failed. And you see the real Eric Swalwell call him out. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Thank you for watching. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. Please hit the subscribe button right now. Also, check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. We are not funded by any outside investors at all. So the way this independent media network is funded is through our Patreon. So wherever you are in the world, if you want to help grow this platform, check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Wherever you get audio podcasts, just search Midas Touch Podcast and download that for free. Subscribe uh, as well or, or follow us on Instagram. Search Midas Touch on Instagram. And right here on YouTube, subscribe. It's free to subscribe here as well. Until next time, I'm Ben Marcellus. Thank you so much for watching. Love this video? Then you'll love the Midas Touch podcast. Listen as my brothers and I break down the latest news and chat with top political leaders on the fastest growing pro-democracy podcast in the world. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Friday. Add the Midas Touch podcast right now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Which is better, oat milk or cow's milk? First up, almond milk. Unfortunately, most almond milks are packed with lectins. These irritating proteins can actually cause bloating, gas, and weight gain. The same is true for oat milk. I always say, if you want to fatten up a cow or a horse, feed them oats. Next is soy milk. This is a huge no. It's a lectin bomb, almost always genetically modified, and some studies show it may disrupt your hormones. Last but not least is unseasoned coconut milk. Naturally delicious, it also contains MCT oil, which can help your body burn fat and convert it to energy. So, coconut milk. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, one of the places where Donald Trump's abusive and malignant narcissism is displayed, aside from everywhere, is very specifically in some of these social media posts that he makes where he goes and he thanks the various grand juries that are criminally investigating him because in his malignant narcissistic mindset in his abuser mentality he's trying to tell the people who he is battering who he is shaming he tries to say well i love you you're gonna do the right thing you're the greatest thank you so much and then when they don't do what he wants he then basically commands his cult followers to take action against them. I'll show you the most recent post.
that he made. And then I'll show you one that he did last month that's actually quite similar where you can see the pattern here. So this is what he posted earlier in the day on his social media platform. He goes, I have gained such respect for this grand jury and perhaps even the grand jury system as a whole. The evidence is so overwhelming in my favor and so ridiculously bad for the highly partisan and hateful district attorney that the grand jury is saying, hold on, we are not a rubber stamp, which most grand juries are branded as being. We are not going to vote against a preponderance of evidence or against large numbers of legal scholars, all saying there is no case here. Drop this sick witch hunt now. You see the malignant narcissism. You see that abuser mentality saying, I love you, I love you. Now stop that witch hunt now. That's what's going on there. And by the way, absolutely nothing is true here uh, in this statement. The grand jury is not saying, hold on, we need more time. All of these legal scholars are giving us this information. No. In fact, the only witness that Donald Trump put before this grand jury in New York, Robert Costello, who brought uh, 300, 400 documents with him that he wanted to go through with the grand jury, the grand jury only asked for a handful of documents uh, for Robert Costello. They didn't care about his presentation, and Michael Cohen, who was there to be a rebuttal witness if he was needed to respond to, to Robert Costello's allegations, wasn't even called because Robert Costello's testimony wasn't damaging. There are no legal scholars speaking to the grand jury. They're not considering information that's not being presented to them. So this statement here that's being made is completely and utterly false. And let's face it, you know, Donald Trump saying, they're going to arrest me on Tuesday, they're going to arrest me on Tuesday. The district attorney is pursuing the district attorney's investigations. And when the district attorney decides to have a vote before this grand jury, there will be a vote and then a determination on a criminal indictment or not. There likely will be a criminal indictment. That's what all the evidence suggests. But that is what the process is. But you see his malignant narcissism there in full effect. Let's remember what he said last uh, month in uh, early to mid-February when the Fulton County uh, Special Grand Jury released uh, a, their report and uh, the judge allowed just small portions of the report to be released. The introduction, the conclusion, and section eight, which was just a small section that stated some of the witnesses that went before them lied and they would recommend perjury charges for those witnesses but didn't list the specific witnesses' names. And the judge, Robert McBurney, who supervises the special grand jury in Fulton County, specifically redacted uh, uh, the other portions of the report uh, to try and protect individuals whose names may be mentioned in the report that the special grand jury has recommended for criminal indictment to um, try to give extra protection for their due process rights. And so people like Donald Trump, whose names are likely in the report as people recommended to be criminally indicted, those portions of the report were not released. And every indication is that the special grand jury in Fulton County recommended Donald Trump be criminally indicted. Um, it's just all of those portions are redacted for now. 
And here's what Donald Trump said after they released their report. He goes, thank you to the special grand jury in the great state of Georgia for your patriotism and courage. Total exoneration. The USA is very proud of you. So you see the gaslighting there. You see the propaganda and disinformation technique. And so what he's also setting up, in addition to the uh, malignant narcissism and abusive mentality that kind of fuels this, is that when ultimately the grand juries do not turn in his favor, he then says to his cult followers who are getting this misinformation, oh, there was a conspiracy. The grand... loved me. I even said thank you to them. I congratulated them for their great work. I would never congratulate them for their great work if I thought they were going to criminally indict me. But then the deep state and George Soros funded prosecutors and the leftists and the rhino globalists, they all came and they convinced the grand jury to do the exact opposite of what the grand jury wanted to do. That's how he sets up these conspiracies and he does them intentionally and kind of builds these poison pills in the minds of his cult followers with this disinformation. Look, there's a reason why he calls his social media platform Truth Social. By the way, the same name that the Soviet Russian propaganda arm, their main uh, periodical was called Pravda, which translates to truth, when in fact they are spreading the opposite of the truth. It would make George Orwell say, I couldn't even predict that in 1984. But here are Donald Trump's other posts as he then says, oh, I love the grand jury. Thank you, grand jury. By the way, I'm sure special counsel Jack Smith is happy to hear how much you love the grand jury process. Thank you for sharing that with special counsel Jack Smith. Here's the next post that he makes. He goes, 80% of the public think that former President Donald J. Trump is being treated very unfairly for political reasons and due to the fact that he is leading in the polls. 20% disagree with that. I say these prosecutorial scams and hoaxes are all about election interference and Republicans must get tough and smart. You see, because he knows he's going to lose in 2024, he knows that he's a big loser. What he's now trying to establish, because it's the ultimate victim mentality, is that because I was criminally prosecuted, that's why I lost. Otherwise, look, 80% of the public thinks that this was wrong. By the way, he's just making up fake polls at this point. I mean, if you go through the types of polls that he's citing, there's not 80% of people that say that. I mean, look at the polls that he's been citing recently. He cites Twitter polls from right-wing fascist influencer accounts like this one called Cat Turd. Cat Turd, literally the big Republican influencer account. Um, is not, remember when it used to be like a, a, a magazine written by these think tanks? And, uh, no, it's written by an account called Cat Turd, 
There's a photo of a cat. Um, and it says, who will you be voting for in 2024, a Republican primary? And then Donald Trump advertises the cat turd poll um, and says, new poll just out. And then all of these Trump-related political action organizations like MAGA Warm and goes, new poll results. And they cite the cat turd poll as though it's um, like a legitimate and authentic uh, poll. And again, just completely embarrassing. Uh, and humiliating there. And then in this string of posts that Donald Trump makes, he reposts this from the weakest speaker of the House in United States history, Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin McCarthy posted this a week ago, but Donald Trump is reposting it now. You can see how his mind is kind of cycled through these thoughts and he just goes mad on his uh, phone posting away. Uh, tr uh, speaker Kevin McCarthy goes, here we go again, an outrageous abuse of power by a radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against President Trump. I'm directing relevant committees to immediately investigate if federal funds are being used to subvert our democracy by interfering in elections with politically motivated prosecutions. In other words, McCarthy saying that he wants to weaponize the House of Representatives committees to interfere with local state prosecutor criminal investigation. The exact opposite of what federalism is. It's the exact opposite of when Republicans say that they're for small government and they don't want big government to interfere. They're having congressional committees interfere with criminal investigations at a local level against Donald Trump, their cult leader. And then when you want to see what that message inspired when he said, we're having all these, I'm directing the congressional committees to take action. Well, here's the House Judiciary GOP account. You see it uh, right there. Um, and the House Judiciary GOP account um, does eyeball emojis because they are completely immature and not serious people um, uh, to a uh, press release by some organization called America First Legal. And America First Legal announced, America First Legal has opened an investigation into the New York <laughs> County District Attorney's Office to obtain internal and external communications regarding the prosecution. And the House Judiciary official account does eyeball emojis. Well, America First Legal. Who's America First Legal? There, there's America First Legal. So America First Legal is just the organization that Stephen Miller created. I think he's one of two people listed on the leadership uh, page of some political organization or some nonprofit or whatever they're calling it, whatever their structure is. So the House Judiciary GOP is reposting that some random organization that has authority to do nothing, open, run by Stephen Miller, uh, is opening up an investigation that doesn't have you're just writing a press release and saying you're opening up an investigation. I mean, the behavior is just so clownish. Fascist clownish. I don't want to offend clowns. But, but just look at this behavior, and that's what they're citing. It's like Judicial Watch is the group that the MAGA Republicans are like, Judicial Watch said this, right? Judicial Watch run by Tom Hicken. Tom Fitton is not a lawyer, and he's like the main like, legal scholar, a non-lawyer, that's advising the MAGA Republicans on all of this 
nonsense that they, um, you know, that they pursue and all of this kind of right-wing extremism and all of these unconstitutional theories. You got Tom Pickens advising him a non-lawyer. By the way, the chairman of the Judiciary <laughs> Committee, who the MAGA Republicans appoint, Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan, um, never passed the bar exam. He graduated from a law school, uh, but then never, I don't, I'm not even sure if he took the bar exam, he certainly never passed the bar exam. Yeah, and as a lawyer who has passed the bar exam, and I think I passed it many, many, many years ago, probably 12 years ago, at, at this point, do I think the bar exam makes you a better lawyer that you I, I truthfully don't. But is it the kind of uh, competency exam set forth in each state that licenses lawyers so that they can become practicing lawyers in the state? Yes. We, we, we haven't created a system that's better than the bar exam, but the bar exam is basically the minimal threshold of demonstrating competency to legally practice law in the state. So of all of the people that the MAGA Republicans could have put as the chair of the Judiciary Committee, the Judiciary Committee, they picked someone who never passed a bar examination or, or may never have taken it. Why, why wouldn't you take it? Especially, and, 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 here's the, and here's the thing, like, I think you could be very successful as a lawyer without taking bar exams. I want to make that very, very clear and go on to have successful careers, but do you have to then lead the judiciary committee of all the committees? That's the committee, the person who hasn't passed a bar exam? That's the thing. We have to have these discussions about who these MAGA Republicans are. We need qualified people and we need to stop the gaslighting. We need to have these real conversations that we're having here on the Midas Touch Network. Please hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1 million subscribers thanks to your incredible support. But please hit subscribe. Also, check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. P A T R E. You mean you're on the way to 1.5 million? We get a lot of great content subscribers. on our Patreon, but most importantly, uh, it helps fund this independent platform. Also, we're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. Help us hit that goal by hitting the subscribe button. It's free. And wherever you get your audio podcast, please subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast. Just search on audio Midas Touch and subscribe there. And also you can check out the Midas Touch on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Ben Marcellus. Thank you so much for watching. Lock him up. Indictment season is upon us. Celebrate with the new indictment season t-shirt and v-neck exclusively at store.midastouch.com. Notice he said he said one million. We're on our way to one million. <laughs> he got it last weekend. Breaking Trump gets nightmare update. Oh, we already saw that too. Fuck. Uh, we're all caught up. George Santos simulated in live TV in Brazil interview. Caught on TV. They're called bionic boomers. Seniors once riddled with debilitating arthritis pains, given a new... In what can only be described as the craziest sequel to Catch Me If You Can, Republican Representative George Santos' story continues to get even dumber and more crazy.
Santos has desperately tried and failed to control the narrative. And most recently, he stumbled through his lies during an interview with the incompetent Pierce Morgan. I'm Gabe Sanchez, and welcome to another episode of What Was That? If you don't already know this fraud, let me present the untalented Mr. Santos. I mean, Anthony DeBolder. Uh, uh, Anthony Santos. No, uh, uh, George DeBolder. Anthony Zabrowski? Or is it Qatar Rabash? I mean, can you blame me? Not even the people in his own party know his real name. George Santos. George, who we know is a friend. As, he's known as Anthony DeBolder to me. Okay, I'm just going to say what's on everyone's mind. Who the f*** is George Santos? Huh. And now it looks like Santos has been media trained-ish to answer that very question. It's a great question. My name is George Anthony DeVolder Santos. Pretty long name. Um, and I've gone by Anthony my entire life almost because my mother called me Anthony. It was her chosen name, dispute of parents of what to name the child, so I ended up with two first names, two last names. Oh, <laughs> look, a pathetic attempt at a joke to make you feel sorry for Santos. But George Santos is, I'm just a regular person, Pierce. I'm flawed like every other human being. I've made mistakes. You know, just a normal person who casually lies about literally every aspect of his life. Santos went on Pierce Morgan Uncensored in a desperate attempt to cover up his old lies with his new lies, but uh, it didn't go so well for him. But before we jump into the rest of the interview, let's all agree that George Santos, or whatever he goes by, is just stupid. So right out of the gate, Santos continued to push the narrative that he was the victim by claiming the media are a bunch of liars. I have to sit down and endure people say things about me that are absolutely not true, or they're just making out of cloth because it fits the narrative, or some desperate journalist trying to make a career off for themselves off of my name today. This is what I've, I've become subject of desperate journalism, journalists trying to build a journalistic career for them. And when Pierce Morgan defended the media, Santos doubled down. There's a difference between doing their job and a difference between making a witch hunt out of something. Though, isn't a witch hunt if Santos lies about literally everything? Like attending horseman school in the Bronx? I was there for six months of ninth grade. Wait, six months of ninth grade? That would be his freshman year. That doesn't make any sense. Santos said during an interview in 2020 that he went to Horseman School until four months before graduation, which would be his senior year. I left school uh, four months before graduation. Let's see if Santos clears up these lies with Pierce Morgan. I attended it for a brief period of time and then went back to the public school system and then dropped out of the public school system and attained a GED. I was always very truthful if not completing high school due to financial difficulties. Always been truthful? A spokesperson for Horseman School said there was no evidence that Santos ever attended the school. I challenged to see what, they're, what name they're looking under. If you look at my entire history of education, it was not under the name George Santos. So I, what, what name did you attend? That? Uh, a, a variation. It was either George DeVolder or Anthony DeVolder. I wouldn't know. I was a minor. So now, Santos is claiming that he attended school under different aliases. Like, he was in a Wish.com version of Witness Protection. Also, this I don't know excuse is so lame and unoriginal that he's going to reuse it throughout the whole interview. And when Morgan pressed Santos on why no one could find his school records at Horace Mann, this is how he responded. What, what name should they be looking for? I would say George DeVolder. That's how I. That's how it's on my uh, GED certificate. You got on the George DeVolder, Anthony DeVolder, 
Well, officially, the only two names I've ever used on documentation has been George DeVolder or George Santos. Hold on a sec. Santos first said he went by the name George DeVolder or Anthony DeVolder when at school. But within 60 seconds of this interview, he said he went by the name of George DeVolder or George Santos. That's suspicious. And then the two discussed Baruch College. You know, the school that Santos said he attended on a volleyball scholarship, which he now admits he never attended. Oh, did you forget about Santos claiming to be a star volleyball player who led his team to a championship and then as himself got two knee replacements? That's because Santos stole those achievements from his ex-boss. Anyway, during the interview, Santos was asked why he lied about his education. Expectation on society the pressure. Couldn't afford it. Santos is the living embodiment of victim mentality. I didn't think it was possible, but George Santos has told more lies about his life than Herschel Walker. And apparently, all of the lies that Santos put on his resume were not his doing. And which the resume was never furnished or, or supplied by me. Who supplied I, I have no idea where that came from. Well, someone did it on your behalf. I'm not saying no. I... I didn't supply it, and nobody associated with me supplied it. That came from the GOP, and I'm still trying to understand where that came from. Does George Santos have a doppelganger or maybe a clone that we don't know about? Because otherwise, it was definitely him. George Santos personally presented this resume to the Nassau County Republican Committee at an in-person meeting in 2020. George Santos really gives a new meaning to the phrase, fake it till you make it. If your employer caught you lying about a fraction of the things that Santos lied about, You'd be fired on the spot. And how does Santos excuse his pathological line? Just like this. Uh, I'll, I'll humor you this. I ran in 2020 for the same exact seat um, for Congress. And I got away with it then. And I guess... Right. Well, that's honest. Pierce Morgan doesn't even push back. He just accepts his answer and says, Well, that's honest. I mean, considering he's dealing with Santos, is it honest? But hey, since no one caught Santos' pathological line in 2020, it somehow excused him doing it again in 2022, and even right now during this interview. Honestly, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if George Santos was just three dogs stacked on top of each other in a trench coat. Speaking of dogs, remember how Santos previously said on multiple occasions that he founded the fake nonprofit Friends of Pets United? Well, now Santos is barking a different tune. I wasn't alone in, in the operation. Uh, I had, there was a multitude of people. We were all volunteers. I was the operator. I was one of the, I think we were seven founders, if I'm not mistaken, between New York and New Jersey. So now that we've discovered that Santos wrote $15,000 in bad checks to steal puppies from Amish farmers and resell them as rescues, He's trying to distance himself from his own organization. After all the revelations about the organization, I wasn't in charge of any of the... I mean, the weird thing is there were no social media accounts for it. No text Those were all deleted. Santos has repeatedly said that he has nothing to hide, so why would he delete his own organization's social media accounts? Pretty shady if you ask me. So what happened to, to the tax yeah. records, to the social media I, 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 was, I wasn't in charge of any of that. Uh, 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 it's, um, uh, George Santos is stammering like Jim Jordan when he was asked how many times he spoke to Donald Trump on January 6th. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know uh, that when, when those conversations happened. Santos continued to downplay his role at his own organization to something similar to a coffee boy running errands. I was the operator. I was the guy putting cats out of the streets into my car, taking them to get... Oh, I understand that, but... but so I was in charge of that. I know, when you say you're the operator of this, of this foundation, and there's literally no record of any of it, it doesn't, doesn't lend much credibility to your operational skills. Santos <laughs> even claimed he did his job well. I wasn't part of the administrative part of the group. We were seven people. Everybody had their own tasks. Mm. My task was, George, go pick up this dog. Go pick up this cat. There's... 
that was my task. Go, go deliver this adoption. And that, that was my involvement with the organization. And I, quite frankly, Bonjour. did it well. Wait, what was that? That was my involvement with the organization. And I, quite frankly, did it well. I've personally spoken uh, with the New Jersey Animal Rescue, where in 2015, Santos allegedly lost two miniature pinchers that were under his care, or lack thereof. According to the people directly involved, the whereabouts of the dogs are still unknown. And despite the fact that there are literal text messages, Santos continued to deny ever being in contact or involved with scamming a disabled veteran out of his dog's life-saving surgery. I'm not denying if there's a GoFundMe page and if they're going to present me with one, I'm not going to deny that. But I've never met him. I've never took on this case, and I never took the money from his dog. And just like he denied stealing money from a disabled veteran's dying dog, he also denies that he ever claimed to be Jewish. I, I never claimed to be Jewish. Are you sure about that one, buddy? Claimed to be Jewish, half Jewish, a proud American Jew, a Latino Jew, and a non-observant Jew. They're all direct quotes from you. So you're not. You're a Catholic. I mean, I've, I've. I'm a Catholic. Pierce, I've always made this as a party favor joke. Oh, it was a party favor joke. Ah, oh, then by all means, keep telling it. It's always been a party favor. Everybody's always laughed, and now that everybody's canceling me. And there it is. Santos playing the lead role in the straight-to-DVD movie, Poor Me, I'm the Victim. Everybody used to laugh it up. I said it to a room with a thousand people in November. People were hysterically laughing. It was funny to them. They loved it. You guessed it. That story is completely made up. Santos never made a joke about being Jewish in his speech to the Republican Jewish Coalition. We have served as an inspiration, as a friend, and as a leader for, for the Jewish folks in Congress and for all of us in this room by at point one point being just two members. So now we're gonna be three. <laughs> we've tripled it, we've, we've almost tripled it there. The only person in that room that laughed was George Santos and it was an awkward chuckle. Also, the Republican Jewish Coalition credibility to your operational skills. Santos even claimed he did his job well. I wasn't part of the administrative part of the group. We were seven people, everybody had their own task. Mm. My task was, George, go pick up this dog, Go pick up this cat. There's that was my task. Go go deliver this adoption, and that that was my involvement with the organization. And I quite frankly did it well. Wait, what was that? <laughs> that was my involvement with the organization, and I quite frankly did it well. I've personally spoken with the New Jersey Animal Rescue, where in 2015 Santos allegedly lost two miniature pinchers that were under his care, or lack thereof. According to the people directly involved, the whereabouts of the dogs are still unknown. And despite the fact that there are literal text messages. Santos continued to deny ever being in contact or involved with scamming a disabled veteran out of his dog's life-saving surgery. I'm not denying if there's a GoFundMe page and if they're going to present me with one, I'm not going to deny that. But I've never met him. I've never took on this case, and I never took the money from his dog. And just like he denied stealing money from a disabled veteran's dying dog, he also denies that he ever claimed to be Jewish. I, I never claimed to be Jewish. Are you sure about that one, buddy? Claimed to be Jewish, half Jewish, a proud American Jew, a Latino Jew, and a non-observant Jew. They're all direct quotes from you. So, you're not. You're Pierce, a Catholic. I mean, I'm a Catholic. Pierce, I've always made this as a party favor joke. Oh, it was a party favor joke. Ah, oh, then by all means, keep telling it. It's always been a party favor. Everybody's always loud, and now that everybody's canceling me. And there it is. Santos playing the lead role in the straight-to-DVD movie, Poor Me, I'm the Victim. Everybody used to laugh it up. I said it to a room with a thousand people in November. People were hysterically laughing. It was funny to them. They loved it. You guessed it. That story is completely made up. Santos never made a joke about being Jew-ish in his speech to the Republican Jewish Coalition. We have served as an inspiration, as a friend, and is as a leader for, for the Jewish folks in Congress and for all of us in this room 
by a point one point being two members. So now we're going to be three. <laughs> we've tripled it. We've, we've almost tripled it there. The only person in that room that laughed was George Santos, and it was an awkward chuckle. Also, the Republican Jewish Coalition disavowed Santos on December 27th. 2022. But according to Santos, because people were supposedly hysterically laughing, that somehow makes his Jew-ish joke okay. Let me be clear so there is no ish in my statement. Santos is a pathetic excuse for a human. This guy claims to be Jewish, but then jokes about Hitler killing Jewish and black people in a Facebook comment in 2011. And the disgusting reason that Santos lied about being Jewish and his grandparents surviving the Holocaust because New York's 3rd Congressional District has a large Jewish population. And after Santos lost his race in 2020 by 12 points, he knew he had to add more to his backstory that people could relate to and have compassion for. It's why Santos lied about his mother dying twice, one of those times being on 9-11 in the South Tower. It's why Santos lied to Brazilian news outlets that he was the victim of an assassination attempt. It's why Santos lied about having four employees who were killed at the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting. Santos is a pathological liar who steals other people's stories and experiences to make them his own. And now, this moronic kleptomaniac has been exposed as a massive fraud after overplaying his hands. Santos is facing multiple investigations on a state, federal, and international level. You'd think that if you're going to make a career out of lying, you'd at least be good at it. But as George Santos says, Well, I've been a terrible liar. Well, thanks so much for watching another episode of What Was That? If you'd like to get access to exclusive bonus content on more news and current events, make sure to join the Patreon at whatwasthatshow.com. So until next episode, I'm Gabe Sanchez, and this has been What Was That? What would you do if you knew a heart attack was coming? Joe Barton here, and if you're over 40, check your check for these two heart attack early warning signs that I'm going to show you right now in this video. I'll also show you a top doctor's discovery that predicts heart attacks from home before it's too late and a simple at-home Harvard heart artery trick that can boost your heart's blood flow like a jump start on a dead battery. Now, you're smart enough to know that when you have Okie doke. So what comments are. He graduated from Trump University, was one of the top graduates. I have listened to his words. Witch hunt. Who did he hear that one from? The presentations are right on. Does anyone remember the movie they made about the woman who said she survived the 911 attack? She got a bunch of attention and friends until they came out. She had lied. Made an entire movie about that woman, shamed her. This guy lies about having an attachment or involvement in almost every horrific event in history and he keeps his job in Congress. Unbelievable. I have a feeling this studio could have run into an entire movie. The worst part of all this is the fact that he's still in Congress. It's called Munch Munchausers Syndrome, by the way. Like when you claim your kid is, is sick. Munchauser by proxy. I would love to see Joy Reid interview this guy. She would squish him like a bug. Of course, that's a pipe dream because he'll never go before a legitimate journalist, but a girl can dream. As a commentary gave, he can't stop lying. I'm beyond sick of Speaker Santos. <laughs>
In a nutshell, this person is crazy-ish. Thanks, Gabe. Good job. Well, there's no humility. One cannot be humiliated. Yeah. Is a poster boy for all the corruption and fakery. Day Republican Party. Dope. I got one of six subscribers. <clears throat> I got uh, a couple of new subscribers. Welcome, new subscribers. Five <laughs> new subscribers. Let's see what else is going on, man. Kind of sucks that we're all caught up with all this political beatdown. I've seen all of them. All of them. Oh, I haven't. Um, I just had stream one month ago. Jack Smith subpoenas Ivanka and Jared <laughs> and more. Just turn live month. Okay, let's uh, let's see that Ivanka and Jared. Hi, I'm Nicole Hockley from Sandy Hook Promise. I know this is hard to hear, hear but it's important. Second half. Here's what I want to talk about also. Here's a Trump tweet from August 3rd, 2017, where he says, I'm continuing to get rid of costly and unnecessary regulations, much work left to do, but effect will be great. Business and jobs will grow. And then Fortune magazine reported on September 24th of 2018, Trump rolls back train breaking rule meant to keep oil tankers from exploding near communities. And there's a video for all of this. So here's the the things I just referenced, the headline in Trump's post, but there's videos for all of this. So here's a video of Trump's ribbon cutting where he celebrated undoing the Obama era regulations that would have stopped the train derailment in East Palestine. Play this clip. When Americans are free to thrive, innovate and prosper, the Obama era regulations, video of Trump's ribbon community. And there's a video for all of this. So meant to keep oil tankers from exploding near communities rolls back train breaking rule number 24th of 2018 trump rolls back train breaking rule meant to keep oil tankers from exploding near communities and there's a video for all of this so here's the the things i just referenced the headline in trump's post but there's videos for all of this so 
Here's a video of Trump's ribbon cutting where he celebrated undoing the Obama-era regulations that would have stopped the train derailment in East Palestine. Play this clip. When Americans are free to thrive, innovate, and prosper, there is no challenge too great, no task too large, and no goal beyond our reach. Creators and inventors and the future. November 24th of 2018. Ape. Let's set free. November 24th of 2018. Trump rolls back train breaking rule meant to keep oil tankers. Let's set free and regulate. Here's a video. Innovate and prosper. Number 24th of 28. Ever, ever get so. Just reference the headline. Or anything, but I'm not saying it. Dairy regulations. 17, where he says, I'm continuing to get rid of costly and unnecessary regulations. Much who work hard. 17, where he says, I'm continuing to get rid of costly and unnecessary regulations. Blame Much Trump work for... left to do, but effect will be great. Business and jobs will grow. And then Fortune magazine reported on September 24th of 2018, Trump rolls back train breaking rule meant to keep oil tankers from exploding near community. And there's a video for all of this. So here's the, the things I just referenced, the headline in Trump's post. But there's videos for all of this. So here's a video of Trump's ribbon. Innovate and prosper. There is no challenge too great, no task too large, and no goal beyond our reach. We are a nation of explorers and pioneers and innovators and inventors. And regulations have been hurting that and hurting it badly. We are a nation of people who work hard, dream big, and who never, ever give up. We are Americans, and the future belongs to us. So together, let's cut the red tape. Let's set free our dreams, and yes, <coughs> let's make America great Five words you pronounce wrong two years before your brain starts shutting down. Dementia is now known as type 3 diabetes, according to the Mayo Clinic, where doctors have made a shocking discovery that changes everything we know about This is Michael Popak, Karen Friedman, Eknifolo, Legal AF Hot Take. We've got some breaking news in the Donald Trump, Stormy Daniels indictment ago. process. We've got reporting that not only the 23, all 23 of the grand jurors show up for duty this afternoon, called in by the district attorney, the Manhattan district attorney, but one witness at least has already gone in and testified for almost a couple hours. David, I know why he calls himself Picar, but it, we'll call him David Pecker, formerly the founding uh, founder and publisher of the National Enquirer through a company called America Media, a best friend, a BFF of Donald Trump for years, dating back to Palm Beach County and Boca Raton, where National Enquirer was based, who's already, his company, already pled guilty to uh, federal election law crimes related to things like Stormy Daniels and the payment to Stormy Daniels and to another woman who claims that she had sex or had an affair with uh, Donald Trump's uh, Karen McDougal. David Carr has already testified. He's one of nine people that have already gone in 
to this grand jury and testified. And we know what his testimony is because in the non-prosecution agreement that the federal prosecutors back in 2018 signed with his employer, America Media, in, in the uh, allegations of the non-prosecution agreement, it lays out exactly what David Picard is going to testify to. He is the inventor of the catch and kill program. He met with, this is according to the federal prosecutors in their non-prosecution agreement, he met with Michael Cohen, then the in-house general counsel, consigliere for Michael, for uh, Donald Trump, and a then unnamed member of the Trump campaign from 2016. We now could probably figure out, because there's only been one person from the Trump campaign that's gone in to this grand jury, and that's Kellyanne Conway. So for the purposes of this hot take, we're going to say it's Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway and Michael Cohen go to Boca and meet live with David Picard, the publisher. He offers to run a program to help kill negative stories against his buddy, Donald Trump, then candidate Trump. The first test case for that was Karen McDougal, a playmate who claims that she had an affair with Donald Trump also. And he arranged a direct payment to her for $150,000, very similar to the $130,000 that was paid by Michael Cohen to Stormy Daniels. They promised her, and it was all a lie, all a ruse, the National Enquirer promised her that she'd be the cover girl, the cover story on some of their articles. None of that was true. It was a catch and kill program. Catch it, pay the person, have them enter a non-disclosure agreement and a confidential agreement, and then never have that story see the light of day. David Picard is also at the center of Stormy Daniels because he arranged, this time through Michael Cohen, the payment of $130,000, which, by the way, came out of Michael Cohen's home equity line. He took out a loan to pay Stormy Daniels because he knew he was getting repaid by Donald Trump. That is what David Picard has already testified. So here's the question for my colleague, friend, and former prosecutor, and former number two in the very office that's prosecuting Donald Trump right now, the Manhattan DA's office, Karen Freeman Ignifolo. What is what are you what's your takeaway? What do you think? Your sixth sense about David Picard being the witness? Who called him? Does the is it the grand jury wants to hear from him? Did, does Alvin Bragg's team think there's a hole in their case they got to bring him back for? Why David Picard, based on that that expected testimony? What does it mean? If, what does it mean for the timing, possibly, of the indictment? Now that they got all 23 there, and they need 13 thumbs up to get the indictment out of 23. What do you think, Karen? So what this tells us is that, first of all, we're timing-wise, we're at the very end. This is a rebuttal witness because, as you said, he's already testified, and he has now come back after the defense witness has testified, after Bob Costello came in at Trump's request last week. So this is the very end, and, and that's where we are timing-wise. As for why they called him again, my prediction and my supposition is because is for two reasons. Number one, he testified, it was a long time ago. He was one of the very first witnesses who testified back in January. And that, that was a long time ago. And sometimes when when you there there is no summation in the grand jury process like there would be at a trial where you could remind them of testimony that was five months ago or three months ago or whatever. 
whatever this was. And and so it is good to sometimes bring someone back to underscore points that they already made. Also, I think there would have been claims made by by um, Mr. Costello about Michael Cohen and why you can't trust or believe him. And a lot of this rests on, there's no doubt that Stormy Daniels was paid. There's no doubt that she was paid by Michael Cohen. And there's no doubt that there were 11 different pay payments that were made and that there were entries in the books and records that said it was for a legal retainer that there was no such retainer. So really the only open questions for the grand jury have to do with two things. Number one, what did Donald Trump know or not know? Like, what, what was his involvement in this? Was this at his direction? Did he know about it? You know, linking this to Trump, number one. And then number two, was this to influence the election or was this for some other reason, uh, as Donald Trump is 